Welcome to this Niche AudioCast. My name is Will Patch. I'm the Senior Enrollment Insights Leader here at Niche. Today you're going to hear a webinar that's been converted to a podcast so you can listen on the go. You can find all the resources that are mentioned as well as the original recording on the Enrollment Insights blog, which you can find at niche.bz insights. Enjoy. Good afternoon and thank you for joining today. Uh, welcome to this, this Enrollment Insights webinar. We're going to be talking about some of the insights from the Class of 2022 Fall Survey. Uh, this is something between Tutor Collegiate Strategies and Niche, uh, where we, again, survey this senior class, kind of get an idea of where they're at right now in their, in their college search. Uh, it's a nice benchmark here in the fall uh, to get an idea of where students are. Just a quick intro, uh, I'll be presenting today with Jeremy Tiris. Uh, he is the Senior Director of Admission Services at Tutor Collegiate Strategies, uh, and I'm Will Patch. I'm the Senior Enrollment Insights Leader for Higher Ed here at Niche. Uh, just a few housekeeping things. Uh, these always come up, so I like to address them front and center. Uh, we will be recording this. You'll get an email tomorrow uh, with the recording link, uh, and well as the slides and then some ad insights. Uh, and then a, a podcast version as well. So if you'd rather listen to the results again or share them out that way, uh, you have that option as well. Uh, you can find all this and the full re results of the uh, survey on the Enrollment Insights blog. Uh, if you want to get there using a shortened link, you can at niche.bz research. If you have any questions and comments today throughout, uh, just drop those into the question box on your GoToWebinar console. Usually loads over on the right side of your screen. Okay, so just a, we'll start with an overview of the survey. Uh, so if you haven't seen it yet, just kind of give you some idea of some of the background, uh, where the results came from and everything. Uh, we had, and I still don't know how this happened, exactly 12,000 responses. Uh, you, couldn't, you couldn't plan that. Uh, we, we opened this year from August 20th to September 20th. Uh, so we did bump up uh, a month from last year to give a little bit earlier um, chance for, for colleges to get the data in hand uh, and then make use of it. So we did bump it up a little, uh, and we'll address some of those differences and behaviors as, as we get there. Uh, we did post it on Niche, uh, as well as sending it out to students who had registered on the platform, and then sharing our social channels as well. Uh, I know there's, there's always questions about, well, is this representative demographically? Uh, absolutely. Uh, we had a breakdown here. You can see the largest group was Caucasian or white, but that was only 40% of respondents. Uh, when we get into Asian uh, students, I, I like to follow the direction uh, of some of these best practices and actually get into uh, further subsections of um, ethnic groups. And so we have a selection there. Any group that had at least 1% uh, is split out on their own for analysis, uh, but otherwise very, very representative here sampling. Uh, we also had, uh, there was a submission, a submitted question in advance that actually goes directly to this, asking about uh, what type of school students went to. Most did attend a public high school. Uh, we did have 12% saying they attended a private high school, 1% saying they were homeschooled, and 3% were actually international students. So, And then when we look, about a third of currently enrolled college students are first generation or identify as first generation. And we saw the same thing in the survey, 33%. Uh, and then looking at household income quintiles, so looking at the most recent um, BLS, Bureau of Labor Statistics data on household incomes, you can see a pretty even distribution there. Uh, since this was done before October 1st, before the FAFSA deadline, 
it, it seems very reasonable that 27% of students don't know their household income. I know my own experience. I had no idea how much my parents made until we filled out the FAFSA. I knew that we had food on the table, and that's really all that mattered. So, uh, And then I mentioned we had bumped up the timeline by a month this year. Uh, this year's survey was just a little bit earlier. So, so far this year, a third of students say they've started applying versus 53% last year. Makes sense since we had a, a month gap in there. Uh, more students are in that active search mode than they were last year. Also makes sense given the timeline. Uh, so there are some questions. There are actually several questions around, uh, you know, where are the timelines for students applying? You know, it's a little hard to compare to last year, uh, but this is what we're seeing so far. A third saying that they have started, 5% saying they've submitted all the applications they plan to. So I would say even some of them are, are still wide open territory. You know, you may think that you're done until the right college comes along and say, oh, I really love that program. Uh, we also talked about what type of colleges they're they're looking at. So we see here those mid-sized colleges, again, just like we saw in our senior survey. This is something that students are most interested in that five to fifteen thousand range. You know, there it's almost exactly the same for those looking at small and large. You know, students want that sort of mid-range. They don't want tiny necessarily. They don't want extremely large. But you see a lot of them saying they have no preference. You know, they, they're looking for that best fit. Where am I going to best fit in? What's the right place for me? Where am I going to be supported? Where can I meet my goals? Uh, when we asked about urbanicity, it's just straight line there. Urban and suburban are very popular for students right now. Our enrollment survey saw the same thing. And then we have some that are actually detractors. More students saying that they would prefer not to than saying they would prefer to. Uh, so small town, rural, and then fully online colleges. Uh, there was a question about, are students looking for online classes or looking for a mix? You know, this is what we've seen really over the past year and a half, that now that students have experienced online learning, a lot of them are saying they're just not interested. Uh, I think part of that is that they haven't experienced necessarily online learning. They think they have, but it's emergency online instruction instead, which is very different. Uh, but yeah, it's something if you're an online institution or you're trying to push online classes to traditional high school age students, it's going to be an uphill battle because these students are just saying over and over that they're just not interested. It's something they don't they don't necessarily want. It's a good option for those who need that kind of flexibility, who want to stay close to home or have a full time job. But for that traditional 18 year old straight out of college, straight out of high school student, that's not what they're looking for right now. Okay, and I'll, I'll pass it over to Jeremy here for our first insight. Awesome. 63% of students in our survey, and this to me is one of the, the biggest of all the insights you know, that Will and I feel like I've talked about a lot, say that personalized and relevant outreach from their admissions counselor influences a bunch of different things they do during their college search process. And along with that, another key piece of data we found in this survey was only 7% of students said, hey, what I'm getting from colleges and universities right now, or what I have been getting, feels very personal. With too many, it feels somewhat personal, you know, hit or miss, sometimes yes, sometimes no. But a large majority are still like, it just all looks and sounds the same. The email subject lines look the same. The content, again, a bunch of hyperlinks, a bunch of outdated, overly formal language, emails that are this long, things that are highlighted, bolded, I'm asked to do six different things that I may or may not be ready to do. 
that's not personalization to this generation. When we talk about personalization and relevant outreach, it's things like timing, for example. You know, when you know the FAFSA is coming out back in October, are you timely to give students that heads up, but explain why looking and starting that conversation with their family if they haven't already is important in October and not, hey, I'll just wait until February, March. What's the big deal? It's things like connecting the dots, all right, when you send them something. But you also need to do that in a conversational tone. And we talk a lot about this, I feel like, Will, in every webinar we've done together. Uh, but at the end of the day, students say so many times when we look at, you know, because we have qualitative and quantitative data, you know, but the qualitative data continues to say, just treat me like I'm your friend. Just talk to me like I'm a normal human being. All right. You need to be on their level, meaning they just want to have a conversation with you and they want you to recognize I may have, to Will's point earlier in his intro, no idea what my family makes. I've never heard of this thing called the FAFSA. I don't understand how to navigate any of this, especially if my family's never been through it before. Or even if my parents did go to college, that was how many years ago. And the tools that you have now as a student to navigate this completely different as we all know that even when Will and I went through this process, right? So understanding that personalization means things like who is the communication coming from? Is it an admissions address or is it, for example, a human being? And students tell us that human being that makes the most sense in their brain is their admissions counselor. Then besides being conversational, are you trying to concentrate on one thing and one core idea? Because students are like, I don't like it when you jump around and tell me 10 different things about 10 different parts of your school's student experience. Pick one thing. You want to talk about the academic environment and you want to talk and show how your professors care. Connect the dots and explain to the student. Here's how that happens through things like student quotes, for example, which is another way to personalize messaging. And so just little tips like that. And then encouraging students to actually engage with you and respond and not always have the same calls to action of visit and apply will lead more students, hopefully in future surveys, to say what I'm getting feels more personal and it's also more timely. And then in terms of, you know, topics, part of being timely is understanding, well, what do students want to know about, especially at the beginning of the process? And students continue to tell us not only in this survey, but we do a lot of individual surveys every time I lead a staff training workshop for a school. And one of the questions we've been asking for a few years is outside of a school having the major or majors you're potentially thinking about, like, what do you want to know about right away? Similar to what we did in this survey. And the data lines up perfectly. Right now, students want to understand how are you going to make a decision as to whether or not I get into your school. And test optional, as we discussed last year when we went through this survey, in some regards has complicated this because I feel like a lot of schools have not done a very good job at explaining, well, if we're telling you your tests are not required, students are like, well, then what does give me a better advantage over other students? Because if you don't define that in language I understand, then to me, I just feel like if I do well on the SAT or ACT, why would I not submit it? Because it has to give me a leg up, right? This is the mindset you're dealing with and it's the same thing as we'll talk about later with cost. You can see financial aid is the second highest. Are you waiting until financial aid comes out to really have a serious conversation, not only about cost, 
but about that family's plan to pay, whether they choose your school or one of their other options. Because if you are, again, you're behind because students want to know about this stuff at the beginning of the process. And if you're sharing different things you do to make college affordable, if you're telling them, don't freak out at some of these numbers you see on websites when you're doing your research as a junior, because nobody pays anything close to that. It's hard to explain all the math, but here are some of the ways we bring down the cost. That's what we talk about. And that's what we encourage schools to do if you want to be more personal and timely with your outreach. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. We have, I, I keep saying that you have to stop saying apply today, visit today, and give them reasons that they want to. You know, tell them what they're going to get. What is that experience like? What's it going to be like when you set foot on campus? Can you see yourself there? Make them excited to actually take that step rather than just telling them they can because they already know they can. You know, it's like responding to that inquiry form and just say apply today. Well, if they wanted to apply, they would have applied. They're requesting information. And to Will's point, you know, as we move on to the second insight, if you're getting information from the student and then giving that information back on the next step, that's going to make it feel more personal, too. What's up next, Will? Yeah. So right here, we see that, uh, you know, we asked about whether branding, name recognition, how important is that to students? You know, I think this is something that that's really important. 14% of students said that name, brand name, you know, that's all very important to them when they decide where to apply. There's a lot of students, you know, 55% said it was somewhat important. Uh, so it's something that is their top of mind, but it's not going to be that number one thing either. And we all know you get that, uh, you know, I, I, I want to go to this college because I see them playing on ESPN all the time. Or I, I want to go to this college because my I grew up with my grandpa tailgating at their games. You know, there's things like that that, you know, it's going to be harder to to get out in front of. But you have to have a good story of who you are. Was your story? What makes you different? What sets you apart from other schools like you? You know, if you're if you're a school of 2,000 students and you don't have TAs, saying that you have small class sizes taught by knowledgeable professors makes you just like a few thousand other colleges. So instead, share what actually makes you unique, and that's your people. What experiences do you have on campus? You know, how what are what are your cultural touch points? What are the things that really make you stand out from others? We have to have good storytelling to get through to all that. You know, yes, branding is important. You need to have a coherent brand that's going to go across all channels. You know, you can't look and sound one way in your mailing pieces and look completely different if they look you up on social. But that brand is always what other people say about you. You know, how you show it. I say this when we talk about Diversity, for example, you know, diversity is important to students, but saying you're diverse doesn't go nearly as far as showing it. And when students are saying, you know, whether that's on on niche or other platforms on social, if you want, if you go on Reddit and look for your college, what are people saying about you? Does it match who you are? You know, can students tell you what your mission statement is, what your values are? If they can't, are they authentic or are they aspirational? I think that's that's some keys there. Yeah, and to add on to what Will said, if you're trying to gather, well, what are those brand points then that we need to hit on more that make us different? Please, 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 I cannot implore you enough to go survey your current students. Mm -hmm. um, we do it with every client we do. I know Nish does a lot of it too. The only way you can understand 
who you're serving and how you're serving them is to go talk to the people you're serving. And oftentimes, I think what many of you know, listening to this or watching this is it doesn't always match up with what other people in leadership positions on campus think, right, is your brand. Mm -hmm. Yes, going with number three. Yeah. And this is, again, is another one that has been consistent. You know, we've had the opportunity, you know, Nish and Tudor to partner together now three, uh, three consecutive surveys over the last 18 months. And every single one of these surveys, this has been a consistent theme, much like the personalization, which is very few students. It doesn't matter if they're undergrad traditional, like we surveyed, or even non-traditional transfers, grad they all have things they're worried, nervous, or concerned about, right? You can put in whatever word you want there. At its core, it comes back to, I would argue, fear. They're fearful of something. They're nervous or worried about something. The biggest thing I want to encourage those of you watching and listening to do is you just have to get to a point where you can ask them about it. It's not something you lead with. It's not your elevator pitch or your, hey, I've never met Will before. I'm going to ask him what he's scared about. Will might look at me a little weird if I do that. Okay, so understand if you're at a high school fair, all right, or you're at a one-on-one -on -one visit, you know, uh, the campus visit, any of that type stuff. If you haven't established some trust and rapport with a student, it's not something you lead with. But once you've gotten that student to engage with you, do not be afraid to ask just a basic question. So, Will, what's the biggest thing right now that worries you when you think about going to college? It's as basic as that because Will can take that any which way he wants. And I promise you, students have thought about it. They know what worries them. It's not gonna be hard for Will to come up to an answer. It's just a matter of, does Will feel comfortable enough to share what he's worried about? And you know, as we go to the next slide, you'll see what some of those top worries are. And again, these have been very consistent over time. I will highlight though, the one that I feel like, you know, and Will, I'd love to hear what you think too, has gone up the most over the last 12 to 18 months, which is that fear of, I'm not gonna be emotionally and socially prepared when I go to college. That has grown massively, mainly because I think, you know, we didn't need COVID to tell us, unfortunately, we have a mental health problem with a lot of young people, but COVID obviously has taken that to another level. And students do not understand how you're going to help them if they need help then, you know, during the transition. For example, when you start to get some admitted students, and I'll try to tie this together with personalization, which we've already covered, when you start to have admitted students or students who choose your school and you wanna have melt messaging, if you wanna be timely and personal, share some of the resources and some of the people on campus that your students go to when they struggle with certain things. That's another way not only to hit on some of these fears and talk about how you'll help students with them, but also obviously personalize the process in a way that is timely and relevant. But not being able to afford the college they want and making the wrong decision have consistently over the years been the top two. And so if students don't give you feedback when you ask them about what they're scared, worried, or nervous about, don't be afraid to tell them what you think they might be thinking, which is probably one or more of these things on this list. What do you think, Will? Yeah, I think it's the same thing that, you know, if you're when when you're a parent, if you ask your kids, hey, you know, what are you thinking about this? They might say, oh, nothing. I'm fine. If you start kind of prodding a little, well, you know, I, if I was you, I might be a little nervous about X or, hey, I know someone who was really worried about this thing. Here's how I made. Then they can start opening up and talking about it a little more. But yeah, I think the the socially emotionally is that's been a major one. Uh, we we had 
you know, one of the questions we ask is about confidence, both in this survey and our senior enrollment surveys. And this year, just over half of students said that they felt confident that they were socially and emotionally prepared for college. And that's of students enrolling in college. So this is students who are actively enrolling and saying, I'm only about 50-50 sure that I, I'm ready. That's a huge one. Uh, that That's only ever second to I'm confident I can, you know, I'm confident that I can actually afford the college I'm choosing. That's one where typically less than half of students agree. Um, and so that's that's two major touch points. And we see that here as being the biggest fear. You know, can I actually afford it? And part of that is that that's something that gets talked about a lot. So whether or not a student legitimately has, uh, you know, maybe maybe they have all the finances in the world and they're fine. But if it's an anxiety, it's an anxiety. You know, there there's real world consequences to these unfounded fears. So even if it's someone who could afford a $20,000 a year college and chooses a $10,000 a year, if they're worried that they won't be able to, that's going to place some limitations. That's going to have some, some real effects on them. Uh, the one that is always interesting to me is making the wrong decision. And I, you know, I don't know that there is such a thing as a wrong decision, but students are worried about it. You know, how am I going to, I'm going to go to the wrong college. I'm going to not end up where I should be. You know, what does that mean? Does it mean, you know, I was really looking for a place where I'd have personal attention, but I feel like I need to go to this place because it's closer to home. And yeah, I mean, it's classes of 50 with a TA, but it's closer to home. That might be a different decision than you thought, but it still might be the right decision for you ultimately. You don't really know. Yeah. And I think a lot of making the wrong decision also ties in, Will, to this understanding of, I don't know what I'm doing. This is the first thing that I've been given quote unquote ownership of as a young person. And I'm supposed to be able to figure all this out. And I have all these anxieties. And so how am I going to figure it out and feel confident about whatever decision I make, right? You don't know what you don't know until you're in it. And so again, I implore you as we you know get ready to move on to the next insight, please, please, please in your messaging and in your one-on-one conversations, those of you that are counselors listening, ask students how they're feeling about various aspects of their college search and things they're scared, worried, and nervous about. Yeah. And so when we're talking about confidence here, you know, with this class, most of them are pretty confident that they're academically prepared, which is good. You know, I think if they're, if, if they've been looking at colleges, they should be pretty confident. You know, they feel like they can be pretty safe. The only one where we really start to drop off, like I mentioned, is can I afford that college? And that's where more students are saying that they're not confident. They're saying they are, you know, that's, that's something that needs to be addressed early and often. You know, that's part of the reason we see net price calculators as being so impactful for students. Uh, and, and we'll get into this more with some of the price sensitivity stuff a little bit later. Uh, so I'll sort of save that teaser for, for probably 10 minutes from now. But, you know, this next one here, if a student is unable to visit any campuses, so let's say that either they don't feel safe or they're, they just transportation wise, we asked, are you going to delay your, your decision making until maybe you can in the spring or maybe you're going to try to over the summer? Only 23% of students said that they would delay making a decision. So most students say, even without a, a visit to that campus, I feel like I can make a decision. So that's where your, your comm flows, your phone calls and, and engagements with uh, the students directly from your counselors, from your current students, your virtual events, your virtual and tours. That virtual ecosystem is so important here because students are saying, even if I can't set foot on campus, 
I'm going to make a decision. So, you know, the, the old rule used to be that if they didn't come on campus, they weren't likely to attend in the fall. That, I think, has been thrown out the window because I know we had uh, one of the questions we ask in our, in our senior enrollment survey is about whether or not they visit campuses. And this year we saw a huge spike. It was almost 30 percent of students saying that they had not visited any campuses and they were going to be enroll- enrolling in the fall. You know, that was up two years ago. It was 7 percent. And now we're at almost 30. I mean, there's been a giant jump in students not taking visits. And so we have to prepare for that. You can't just sit back and wait and say, well, we need to get them on campus. And we have these specialized experiences that are predicated on a student visiting campus. You know, that that's out the window now. You need to be online. You need to be able to engage and show your personality and show who you are everywhere. And one of the things we asked was, you know, these traditional recruiting activities. Uh, And I think it's really key and why I want to call out here, this is looking at, are these students saying that they will definitely do this thing? We also, you know, there were, there were a number of students who said they might, but, you know, I think it's like a lot of things. If someone doesn't definitely commit and say, yes, I'm going to, you know, are they going to at all? So 45% said they're definitely planning on visiting a campus. You know, great. I would like to see that higher, but the world's still not a great place right now. Uh, I know I, I probably wouldn't do a lot of campus visits either. Uh, 35% said they would meet with colleges who visit their high school. 27% say they'll definitely attend a college fair. So one of the things that there were a number of questions about was this traditional recruiting. It's changed a lot. You know, you should be collecting, you know, years of data on how effective were your visits, how effective was this college fair. How effective was this program? And so you should have been weeding some of those out already. Uh, you know, less travel only to where it's really impactful. You know, building relationships with counselors, with these people who are going to be advocates for you. You know, maybe you have some counselor events in area, but, you know, going to driving 40 minutes to meet with one student who all likelihood isn't going to be attending anyway. I'm not sure that's a great use of counselor time when you could instead work with counselors and work with people in the community. Uh, That's where CBOs and others can be so impactful here. How do you get in front of students when your counselors might not interact with them until they apply? You know, this is something I think is going to be more and more important is having that strong presence. So Jeremy, what, what are some things that we can do around this? Yeah, I think it's important to remember this is an emotional decision for so many students, right? I mean, the choice to go, you know, do anything in the college search process, engage with you, do a visit, right? What does the visit in terms of value provide for so many of you listening to this? Well, it helps them with the feel of campus, right? Well, again, what does that mean? Just like making the wrong decision, right? It's hard to explain why we feel a certain way. We just know, right? We know when we walk on a campus, boy, I thought it was going to be smaller than this, or whoa, this is way bigger than I thought, or wow, like look how amazing these buildings look, and look how nice people are, and oh my gosh, people are holding the door, all right, or they're saying they like what I'm wearing, or those are the feelings, right? So if students aren't or are choosing not to potentially come to campus as much, to Will's point with that virtual, excuse me, virtual ecosystem, how are you trying to create similar feelings? And at the end of the day, right, one of the ways you can do that is through social media, no question, right? But then it's understanding what I know Will and I have shared and the data has shown in past surveys, which is 
what do they want to see on social media? Well, they want to see current students doing whatever they do all throughout the day and talking about their experiences. Then it's about, well, where do they go? And where are they going to spend their time? Well, it's Instagram by a mile, right? Much like this survey showed us as well. So if you're creating content or getting your students to create content, for example, on social media, or even standing content that goes on different spots on your website that feels authentic and that talks about some of these things, that's another way to generate some of those same feelings or to help students with that. But short of that and things like personalization and trying to ask about fear and trying to say, well, I don't know much about this high school student because I didn't go visit their high school, but wait, they inquired. So I'm wondering, well, why did they inquire and what do they want to still know about my school before they're willing to take the next step? It's just leading a conversation around things like that based on what you know or don't know about the student. Because when you personalize and when you empathize and when you humanize this process, you create those feelings and emotions that, again, every student pretty much uses when they decide to do or not do various things in this process. And there was actually a question I didn't want to wait till the end here. Someone asked, uh, what about the percentages prior to COVID? The only one we know is visiting campus. Uh, this wasn't something that really, I, I think, needed asked before COVID uh, because everything was was normal then. Uh, and we did see almost every student visiting campus then. It was about 97%, uh, 95, 96% saying that they were visiting campuses before enrolling. Uh, and now we're closer to two thirds saying that they're they're visiting when they actually show up to campus. So massive drop off. Students who are showing up in the fall without ever visiting any campus, not necessarily your campus they're enrolling at, but any campus. As we move on to the next insight here, you know, I'll, I'll add one more thing that actually ties into the last insight and this insight, which is for those of you listening who are at the leadership level or maybe are on the marketing and communication side, you, if you do not have somebody who does videographer stuff on your staff right now, that is a position that, again, I cannot implore you enough to either try to add over the next couple of years or what I always encourage when I do trainings is, I almost guarantee that everybody listening has at least one current student at the school that they work at who either does videographer type stuff for fun or wants to have a career in that. If you can go find that person and almost offer them an unpaid internship with the idea of what you create for your school can be used in your portfolio when you go to apply for jobs, you can obviously have somebody to help create this content that will live in that virtual ecosystem and be a part of things like virtual events, which is the next insight. Last year, when we asked about virtual events, and correct me if I'm wrong, Will, I feel like students were like, well, okay, maybe 35, 40, 45 minutes. That number's gone even down more this year, meaning the number of students who are saying, you're not even keeping me past 30 minutes, continues to grow. Well, let's quickly talk about why. Much like, unfortunately, a lot of standard traditional visits, high school visits, college fairs, information sessions during campus visits, there's not enough differentiation, excuse me, differentiation and segmentation, meaning it all looks and sounds the same. And if you're going to have me stare at a screen, which I already don't like to do in the first place, let's just be honest, as a young person, you know, what, what's going to keep me here? Well, number one, right, is this helpful and is it fun? I mean, every time you create any sort of virtual event, those are two must answer questions for you listening if you work at a college or university. 
what is the student or students or parents or whoever's uh, we want to come to this? What are they getting out of this? Not what are we getting out of this? What are they getting out of this? And then on top of that, what's the fun component? Because we all want to have fun. We all want to engage, right? But what gets us to engage? And so it's answering those two questions and then saying, well, who do students want to hear from? The number one person they want to hear from is your current students. And you can keep doing panels, but understand everybody does panels. So how are you going to differentiate the types of panels you do? Well, it's about segmenting, I would argue, and trying to, for example, do a panel for only first gens, right? Which are done by first gens. Do parent-only events. This is something I've been hammering home to schools over the last six months. If you are not doing parent-only content on your website and or parent-only virtual events, you are missing a major, major, major group that has a significant role in this process, right? It's things like that and it's just understanding how do we do it in a way that doesn't feel like, again, we're robotic and we're just repeating the same thing over and over. Less PowerPoints. Students tell us all the time, I don't wanna stare at PowerPoints all the time, but I would like to see more video. Like you're telling me all these bullet points, can you actually show me some of this because I haven't been to campus? So how are you embedding things like video, right? Or how are you getting your students to paint that picture through the stories they tell because some of the best virtual events that I heard about last year were literally done on Zoom, and it doesn't matter what platform you use, whatever platform you wanna use, where it was just current students doing nothing but storytelling. Literally, that's the whole event. There's no PowerPoints, there's no nothing. There was an admissions counselor in the room doing like chat and Q&A, and it literally was just multiple students talking about things that make their student experience what it is, or explaining how they made their college decision, or talking about the transition from classes being a high schooler to being a college student. And so you can see the data on the screen, you know, very similar to what we talked about last year. Uh, we're seeing weekends over weekdays. But at the end of the day, right, if you're taping your content, which you can see to the right there, students want a combination for the most part of live and pre-recorded content. Live events are fine, but if you're recording stuff too, you again are giving additional accessibility to all of these students, especially in areas you've probably never been to and won't ever go to, that again, might find something interesting that one of your students say, or one of the things that you share or show. And so it's a combination of virtual and live. It's understanding, we can still do events during the week, but we probably need to be doing more on the weekend. And again, we need to do shorter events that are more segmented, that again, our current students are a core part of. I mean, you need to think about it. Everything else in their life is on demand. So requiring something to be in person at a certain time is counter to what they're used to. They can watch any video, any TV show, watch a music video, listen to music, all on demand. So why should they be forced for this big decision to be here logged in at one o'clock on a Saturday? You know, you have have something that, you know, hey, we've got these these videos that you can watch anytime. If you want to log in and and chat directly with students, you can do it at this time or this time, give them some options. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, you know, like Jeremy said, it doesn't have to be on any specific platform. This doesn't have to be something that costs you a bunch of money. You can do it through Instagram. You can do it through Reddit. I mean, have live events on Reddit that, that students can log into. You know, there's lots of places you can do this. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, well, we need to spend 50000 on this thing. And we have to buy professional equipment and all that. You know, 
there's lots of ways you can do this. Uh, you know, I, I think it's one of those where students want engaging, yes, but we know they're perfectly willing to sit and be talked at as long as it's fun, like Jeremy said. I mean, think of the number of hours the student will stare at TikTok or Instagram and just consume content that's not engaging them, but something they want to see. It's in, it's funny. It's something that, it, I mean, there's personality. It can be, there's some great accounts out there. They're teaching things that are done in a fun way. And so engage your students, engage your faculty and staff, bring people in, do something that people want to engage with. You know, no one wants to sit and listen to Ben Stein from Ferris Bueller's Day Off talking about, you know, you know that, that's not engaging. We like watching it because it's so humorously bad, but it's not something that someone wants to sit down and stare at a screen for. And I would just add real quick, it doesn't always have to be student events, even though students are the number one, you know, group of people on your campus that prospective students continue to tell us they want to hear from. But understand, how is your presentation going to be different? If you can't define that, that's an important conversation you need to have long before you do your event. And then it's understanding if everybody's doing similar events, you know, how are we differentiating ourselves? Well, it's back to what Will and I talked about, you know, 25 minutes ago, which is, you know, you differentiate through the stories you tell and through what people say about your student experience. But when you make a lot of blanket generalized statements, you know, we have a welcoming community, like Will said earlier, we have professors who care, we're, you know, we have a very diverse campus. We have, what does that mean to a 17 year old after they've read it and heard it so many times, right? When you share content in person or virtually, please, please, please focus more on storytelling. It doesn't have to be, students have no expectation when they come to campus or they do any virtual event of, well, I'm mad, Will, you at the, you're the admissions counselor, you didn't talk about this during your presentation. I would, if they really wanna know about it, number one, they'll ask, and if they're afraid to ask, and as a counselor, you understand how to pull stuff out of students by asking direct intentional questions, You'll find out they were really hoping you were going to discuss X at your event. You didn't. So, hey, like they want more information on that. But short of those things, it's going to be very, very hard to get students to continue to want to come and consume live content, especially for an extended period of time. Yeah, and this one is, you know, this is another theme we've seen over the past year and a half across multiple surveys now, and I, I find it really interesting. You know, fine performing arts are again outpacing, outpacing athletics and importance. We had two-thirds of students say that they want arts and cultural experiences on campus. That's important to them when they're looking at their options. 46% want the fan experience. 36% want to be student-athletes. Uh, you know, so, you know, that that's a big difference there, especially when you look at what's highlighted in view books and on social and video. See a lot of athletics reels. You don't typically see as much about the theater, the choir, the bands. You know, how can I, even if I'm not a major, engage in things? But we keep seeing that uh, on, on surveys that students want the arts as well. So I think there's a big opportunity here to start looking at how do we treat our arts recruiting in the same way that we have athletics, having dedicated recruiters and having you know, this, this powerhouse that brings people in and, you know, that's another, you need to think about where can we be sticky with students? And so their major, of course, is one, that's a place that you can connect them with faculty, staff, students, build some, build some touch points there. 
well, athletics, you know, you've got your assistant coaches, your current, you know, there's a, there's a whole wheelhouse there of stickiness that draws students in. I think the arts is the same way and should be treated the same way. It's a sticking point that if you can build connections with students through that as well. So then all of a sudden this student who's looking at all these colleges, if they have someone they've been talking to about the band and their admissions counselor and their major, you know, that's three points of contact who are drawing them to this place, whereas somewhere else they might just have one. You know, where are you going to feel more at home? Someplace you already know people in three different areas or somewhere you only have that one point of stickiness. You know, we we ask about what's that important college experience? What do you think you want out of your college experience? What's important? Active clubs and activities. They want these engagement points. They want to be involved. A diverse student body is extremely important. This is where I keep saying you have to show it, though. You can't just say, we are a place of diversity. Okay, what does that mean? You know, I, I, I've heard that, and then you look up the stats, and it's 85% white students. Okay, that's not very diverse then. Uh, you know, arts and cultural experiences. You know, there, there's all these opportunities. There's a few that we keep seeing not quite uh, as important uh, to some students as very much so, but single-gender cam- campuses, religiously affiliated campuses, for those students who do inquire and say that that's important to them that's someone you have to to grab and engage early because there's not a lot of students out there who are saying yes that's something i really have to have in my college experience and then how do you convert these neutral students who maybe they're not necessarily looking for it but they would be open to it so how do we get there yeah and so much of this will i feel like comes back to community right everybody is trying to find you know the old phrase their people well, what does that mean? Well, it means something different to a lot of different people. It's who can I find, right? Why are these apps like Discord, for example, right now so popular? Because they're just community apps where you can talk with people who have the same kind of interests you do. And that's something that's always been important to people. It's just normally, you know, 30 years ago, there was no social media and app where you could find people around the world or in the same state or wherever that you could converse with. It was, well, I either got to find people at my high school or that I go to church with, or that I, otherwise it's, I don't know, you know, I'm just kind of hanging by myself. Social media, the internet, all of that has changed, but community is always going to continue to be important no matter how much technology grows. And so again, it's about getting your students to talk about, you know, Will brings up diversity. Every time I lead training workshops, one of the objections, right, that I hear from admissions counselors that they get from students is, lack of diversity, right? Well, again, showing them stats on diversity is not how you get a student to become more comfortable that you have a diverse campus. That's not how they process it. They want to basically know, and this is what they don't tell you, you almost have to decode it because they tell us this in surveys when we ask, well, what does a lack of diversity mean? It means if I'm a student of color, I wanna know, do I get the same opportunities? Am I gonna be looked at differently? All right. Are there going to be people right, who understand that there are things that are important to me because of my background that might not be as important to this next person, but they're still important to me. And so I want to make sure I can go. It's things like that. And those things are hard to talk about and verbalize unless you've experienced them. So have your students who have experienced it or are living it talk about those different things and why they feel comfortable on your campus as a way to, again, share, for example, right? How you are a welcoming, inclusive campus.
And then we get to our final insight of the day, and we'll tease this out earlier. Um, this is, again, another thing that has been super, super, super consistent in every survey we've done over the years. More and more students are saying, okay, for the most part, the cost of college is going up, you know, two and a half, three, three and a half, four percent every single year, right? It's not getting cheaper. Minimum wage isn't going up, which means it's costing more to go to college. I don't know if I feel comfortable paying what I see on some of these websites when I start to go do my college research. So to me, the first thing you have to understand is, again, what are students seeing when they go to NISH, when they go to US News and World Report, when they go to your website and your financial aid page? They're seeing huge numbers, some of which unfortunately are not laid out in a way that is easy to understand. And because they don't have somebody there kind of saying, yeah, yeah, but hold on this, 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 they don't know how to process it. They just know, oh my gosh, I saw $50,000 on the screen. Oh my gosh, I saw... And no young person has disposable income to pay for college themselves. And so they're like, I don't know what my parents make. I don't know, kind of what we'll hit on earlier. Now I start to worry and freak out. Am I going to be able to afford college? Gosh, even if I want to go to a school like this. And all of these thoughts start to creep into their brain. And it has them, in some cases, just say, I just, you know what? I need to go find other schools that cost less. Not knowing that for the most part, most private colleges, cost, at least initially, similar. Most state flagships or most public schools, again, are kind of in the same ballpark. So this is why the cost conversation is so important to have earlier in the process. When you are talking with underclassmen, for example, there's no sense talking to them about the FAFSA. They're at least a year or two away from even having to fill it out. If you want to talk about cost, here are two things you should bring up either at your in-person events, high school visits, whatever, with underclassmen. Number one, don't freak out when you do your college research and you see all of these big numbers. Understand that no student basically pays anything close to that because of things like scholarships, grants, this thing you're going to hear about called the FAFSA eventually. I'm not saying you shouldn't look at colleges that, again, are in an area that you're comfortable with financially. But understand there are other things that influence students, right? Size, like Will talked about, location, like we talked about, that sense of community. What kinds of jobs are they able to show in the major that the student wants? Continue to look for all of those things as well. And if schools check all those boxes, the worst case scenario is I end up applying to one of those schools, I get in, I get my financial aid package, and it ends up being not an amount that I'm comfortable with. That's the worst case scenario. But you have to lay it out to students ahead of time, or they're just going to keep saying, I don't understand any of this. All I see is big numbers. I'm just going to go try to find schools that have smaller numbers because I don't understand how the cost is brought down. So share information, all right, but share it in a way that explains, for example, what a scholarship is. As basic as that might sound, they need you to define it for them. And wait, do I get that every year? Or is that like a one-year deal? And wait, grants, what are grants? That's like money I have to pay back? No, it's not. Oh, we all understand that listening and talking about it. Young people continue to tell us, I don't necessarily know what a grant is. And then there's all these different kinds of loans. And then there's this thing called the FAFSA that I've been hearing about. And then there's all these scholarships in my community and you know, on all these websites that may be able to, it's just bits and pieces over time, talking about those different things and reminding them there are things that every college is trying to do to bring down the cost. 
So don't completely freak out initially when you see the cost, all right? Try to make note of it, but then also try to figure out, does that school have a lot of the other things I'm looking for? And then when I talk with my admissions counselor, or I go to campus, or I'm a part of a virtual event, maybe I'm gonna ask some questions about, hey, you know, what does the average student pay, all right, when they come here as a freshman? Because I promise you, most colleges have that data. And if you don't know that data and you're listening to it, I encourage you to go talk to somebody in financial aid or an admissions leadership, because that's a number that students want to know, right? And if I'm an out-of-state student, what's the difference, right? And if I'm going to be a commuter and you have a commuter population at your school, what's the difference? You can at least give them a ballpark idea, not a guarantee, but a ballpark idea. And so it's just understanding this whole idea of cost and paying for college is not a one-time conversation. If you delay having serious conversations about this subject until their senior year, and then your entry point is the FAFSA, it's becoming harder and harder to get students to even look at you in the first place. And then when it comes to price sensitivity, again, what students are willing to consider, you can see less and less students are willing to consider schools, especially, right, once we get above that $40,000 price plateau we really start to get up into a number where students just don't understand, yeah, but how can it really be possible for me, right? And unless you, again, explain it in a way that isn't a four-page document as part of a financial aid award letter that expects them to do math or that, wait, you only break it down by semester and this school does it by year, it becomes so confusing for them that if they have to figure it out on their own, they default to saying, that's really expensive. And I also don't understand why I'd want to pay more to go to that school. Like, I don't understand how they're really different. So then why should I even look at that school? There's got to be other options out there that cost less that can still give me a lot of what I want. Maybe, maybe not, right? So it's just talking about these things earlier in the process as part of your events, as part of your comm plan and trying to dumb it down. That's what students literally say when we ask them how to improve financial aid please dumb it down for me. Please speak in language I can understand and understand it's not a one-time conversation. Will, what else do you want to add? Yeah, I think this is one that it involves the whole team. You know, we can't bring down college costs just in one office. You know, financial aid has to be involved and others. But yeah, this is something that if, if more and more students and, you know, we last year was the first time that we had the majority of students in every income quintile saying that they were ruling out colleges based on the sticker price. And class of 2021, 73%. Now 2022, they say 75% are. It's just going up every year. So there has to be this change. Um, yeah, we're, we're running a little late on time here. So submit your questions in the chat window as you have them. Uh, we have some that were submitted in advance as part of registration. So we'll start with those. Uh, we'll go fairly quickly through these so that we make sure uh, we, we get through as many as we can. Uh, first one here, our informational webinar is effective to communicate. How can we make virtual visits and virtual sessions engaging? Now, this is one that I know we touched on some already. If it's informational and fun, and it's something that you're bringing in, you know, students, faculty, you know, people with some personality who the students are going to want to hear from, that's all extremely important. But two, don't forget that students are coming to these to learn something. So the more highly segmented you can be, if it's one for prospective students and the business major, you know, if it's for first generation students studying in the sciences, 
you know, it's okay to have a five person event if students feel like they're getting a lot out of it. You know, trying to have these, well, it's just a general information day. I'd be shocked if those are are going to be that effective. If you just talk at students, there's no polls, there's nothing engaging, there's not they're not learning a specific thing. And to Will's point, students tell us they're more likely to engage when it is a smaller group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeremy, you want is, to take uh, this yeah. next one here? Is there a way to quantify the value difference between virtual tour versus in-person tour? And is it worth the money for a small two-year college? Again, trying to explain right these feelings that we all get anytime we experience anything in life, including taking a campus tour are always going to be challenging, right? You just have to go experience something to have an opinion on it. Otherwise, you know, you're listening to stuff secondhand. So is there a difference between the two? 100%, right? Is there value in both of them? 100%. But it's understanding that for some people, right, they don't get the same emotions staring at a screen if all to Will's point a minute ago, they're hearing is a bunch of facts, figures, and people talking language that they don't understand, right? If you do virtual events that, again, are more conversational with more student stories and done in a way that's actually fun, there's no doubt it would be valuable to students, just like an in-person tour would be. And so to me, whether you're a two-year or a four-year school listening to this, you need to have a quality in-person experience as well as a quality virtual experience in 2021. It's a non-negotiable. Yeah, I think that, I mean, students, and this actually gets another question that was asked, uh, more students say that they find in-person helpful than virtual. Parents say the same thing. You know, in-person is preferred over virtual, but you still need to have that virtual. That's very important right now because even the students who feel safe, if you're coming from three hours away, four hours away, the other side of the country, how likely are you to hop in a car and drive to see campus? if you haven't got that feeling for it first, you know, have you done the virtual? So virtual, think of it as an accessibility tool. You're opening the door to more students, your international population. If you have no virtual events and this isn't something you need to spend a bunch of money on, you know, we've talked about some of these ways already, so I'm not going to reiterate that right now, but this, the virtual is just opening more doors. So having some opportunities there is extremely important. It's absolutely worth the investment, but also doesn't mean you need to go spend 50, 60,000 on a virtual platform, you know, there's lots of ways you can do it with existing technology. Yeah. And you also real quick, don't need to spend all kinds of crazy money on a super polished virtual tour, you know, meaning you literally will get more value out of your students walking around doing an Instagram live, for example, and literally doing the exact same thing, right? That will actually create more emotions and feelings than any polished thing you pay thousands of dollars for. Exactly. I mean, have them do a skateboard tour of campus with with stops at different buildings, you know, bring in multiple voices. You have all the tools. If you have a phone or you have a good mic and a camera, you've got. Um, how do students say they prefer being contacted when the institution's initiating contact? This is something that was in the in the results. We we asked it a couple different ways. We asked, you know, do you want to be contacted versus, you know, what's your your preferred? say they want email, 92% mail, 77% texting, 58% video chat, 53% phone. With all of these, though, I say 
talk to students and figure out what their preferred contact is. You know, if they, you know, if you, if they say that, you know, I'm really only ever going to talk through text unless you have to do something by email, then don't waste your time calling that student. You know, there, there's just no reason for that. Uh, in our senior survey, we asked about how, what influence different channels played in their likelihood to enroll. You know, were you influenced by this or that? Email was the most influential. Mail and video, less so, but still most students were, in, were influenced uh, by your mail channels, by your video chats and video content. Uh, you know, text and phone, uh, more students said those were not influential and said they were influential. So. And the one thing I'll add real quick on phone calls, because I know many of you listening to this absolutely hate making phone calls. I get it. I hear about it all the time. Number one, they're never going away. And number two, when you become at least good at them, even if you don't like them, students also tell us additionally in surveys, it feels more personal because again, I understand a phone call takes more time and effort. And this isn't something that you can just replicate the exact same conversation word for word to every single student. But it's understanding they don't want cold calls and they don't want random calls where you just call to check in. That annoys them. That's why more and more students, I truly believe, continue to say they never want calls. It should only be for important conversations that are planned ahead of time that students are comfortable with. Yep. I, I mean, schedule in advance or say, hey, you know, grab your parents. I'd like to talk to both of you at once so we can talk through financial aid and, you know, things like that where it's scheduled. But how often do you do you answer a phone call when it's just a random number that you don't know? Uh, what's the future? This is a big one, I know. But what's the future of in-person recruitment? Is it this important? You know, to some students, absolutely. I mean, there's always going to be some opportunities for in-person travel. And I almost wonder if we're going back to the days of, you know, scheduling in-house meetings for some students. And, you know, there's, you know we're going to meet at this coffee shop and chat and you can schedule times to meet with me at this location, you know, rather than... I'm going to try and hit three high schools and a college fair today. So, you know, it's, there's still some importance, uh, but when we, we ask students, we see websites, net price calculators, college search sites as being really impactful. In fact, the college website was more impactful than any individual that we asked about. It had more influence on students' likelihood to enroll. So, I mean, students are shifting more digital. That's not a surprise by now, but doing in-person one-on-one right can be extremely impactful. And that's the big thing at the end of the day. How are you doing one-on-one person, whether it's Zoom, whether it's FaceTime, whether it's email, phone calls, in-person, that's the bigger question you need to answer because to Will's point, right? In my opinion, college fairs are gonna become less and less important. They just are virtually or in-person. Virtually right now, I'm not sure how important they are at all, right? But in-person, at the end of the day, what's the value of an in-person college fair? I get to have a one-on-one conversation potentially with somebody at a table at a school that I may or may not be interested in, right? Mm-hmm. You can still have that conversation through different mediums, right? So it's just understanding there are other parts that lead into that with your comm flow that help create those conversations. Are you giving, for example, your admissions counselors more opportunities to engage or creating more engagement for them that then allows them to maybe be doing less travel, but still getting those one-on-one touch points with students and families. Mm -hmm. Just a reminder, we are going to be sending out the recording and the podcast version of this tomorrow. Um, So that'll be coming. 
if you have time, Jeremy, there's a couple questions I'd love to hit that were submitted in chat. 100%. Throw them at me. Awesome. Yep. So we'll we'll get to a couple more here. Uh, you know, there one question I've seen the data, including uh, the recent data here, that most students are still enrolling no more than one state away. So why is there a difference in their preferences? Well, the way we asked it was about how many hours away would you go? And while students are becoming less interested in staying within 30 minutes of home, you know, I've been talking about it as a rubber band snap. Uh, I know, Jeremy, you have a you have an older child than mine. Mine aren't quite thinking about going away from home yet. But, uh, you know, there, if you've been cooped up at home with your parents for the past year and a half, it makes sense that you might say, OK, I'm more willing to consider an hour, two hours away, three hours away. You know, and both of us are here in Indiana. You can be three hours away and in the same state. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that the two go together very well. You know, you can stay in state and still be three hours away. You can be one state away and still be three hours away. Yeah, my 12-year-old has already decided she's going to Butler. Why, I have no idea because nobody in our family went to Butler. But full disclosure, I'm convinced it's because she likes the Bulldog mascot. And she had a fun experience when we went to a basketball game there. Yeah, yep. and it's close to home. So Absolutely. <laughs> but, but she never once has said, yeah, but it's close to home and I can be close yeah. to you and mom. But she'll talk about the Bulldog. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have any examples of uh, schools doing parent pages and parent events really well? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the biggest thing I'm seeing schools do well, for example, with parent stuff is parent events, number one, as we talked about earlier, are important. Well, what are the big things parents want to know about, right? I would argue the three big things that every parent, regardless of income, background, all of that care about, safety, right, cost. And then the other end of the equation, you can call it outcomes, return on investment, whatever you want. How are you coming up, all right, with content around those things and events around those things? So I know schools, for example, that have been doing parent events this fall, both in person and virtually, where literally they're just picking one of those three things. And that's what they're talking about for 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And they're doing parent panels where they're having actual parents of freshmen, sophomores, maybe even a recent grad who, again, can speak from experience come and actually talk about, you know what, I was sitting where you are last year, three years ago, here's how I felt, here's what was helpful for me, here are some of the reasons why this has been a great experience, right, for my child at school X. So again, it's understanding that just like students want to hear from current students, parents want to hear from current parents as well. And so can you do parent-only events around topics they care about? We just talked about what those are. And can you incorporate other speakers not saying admissions can't speak, not saying your director of financial aid can't speak or the dean of this school, but then how are you addressing these other topics in a way that they can relate to and getting people who have lived it or are currently living it is super important. Then I would argue real quick, comms wise, didn't mean to cut you off, Will, but comms wise, what are you sending parents? Because if you're seeing, seeing them on every student message, that's not a personal touch point in my opinion. And I understand there are challenges gathering information. If you need help with that, send me an email and we'll talk more off afterwards. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you have to also create conversations the same way personally with parents if you're going to be able to talk more about these things in a way that feels personal. Yeah. And and that's something actually I'll, I'll tease a little bit here. Up Coming up on the 18th, we'll be doing a webinar for some data we're putting out on the 15th on parent involvement in the college search. Uh, we did a survey of parents. Uh, so we'll have some some more data there coming out. Um, what well, I'll uh, let's see. What are some ways to talk about financial aid that is going to be fun and engaging? That's one that can be a little tough yeah. sometimes. Well, it's not going to be fun. 
It just isn't. I don't know too many people are like, woohoo, I get to talk about money, especially things that cost tens of thousands of dollars. It's just not. So I think number one, right, it's accepting that. But number two, understand the biggest thing anytime you're going to talk about money is what do they know and what don't they know? Okay. Because obviously a family who's been through this process before, and this is child number two, different situation. A family who has one or two college educated parents, different situation. A first gen, different situation. So it's figuring out through direct and intentional questions in your messaging or through one-on-one conversations that counselors have with students and families, what does this family know? And the number one thing I encourage you all to do as you start to have more of these conversations, because I know you're having them right now and you will be as you're admitting more students, the entry point that is easiest and the least pressuring and yet helpful at the same time is asking them if they've come up with a plan to pay for college. Have they sat down as a family, whether it's your school or any other school they're still considering or they've been admitted to, what is their plan to pay for college? Because a lot of families don't have a plan and need help developing a plan. Some families have a plan. And if you ask the right way, we'll share with you the plan. And that will be helpful for you. Then when it comes time to guide the conversation about other parts of financial aid. But at the end of the day, if you just default to saying, well, I'm going to talk to everybody about the FAFSA and I'm going to talk to everybody about this, this, this. Some of them don't need it because they've already been through it and understand it. And some of them are like, um, you're at the 201 and 301 level. Like I'm way back here. Can you like, but of course they don't say it that way. Start the conversation by asking them if they have a plan. And if they don't be prepared to give them ideas on how to develop a plan. And then as you start to figure out what they don't know and what they know about financial aid and how this whole process works, fill in the blanks through messaging, fill in the blanks through different events, fill in the blank through things that you do spread out over time not a one hour, one time, we're going to give it all to you and hope you remember everything of it. Mm-hmm. That I, I think, yeah, you're not going to make financial aid fun. You can make it less stressful. I mean, you can, you can almost gamify it in a way that, hey, we're going to be doing these workshops. If you come to these topics or, or if you submit outside scholarships, if you do these things, you're earning points and we'll send you some swag. And there's ways you can incentivize taking those right steps. Uh, in ways that can make it funish, uh, you know that those are the things that engage them in ways, you know, help nudge them to do something that they need to do anyway. Uh, you know, hey, once we receive your your FAFSA, we'll send the, you a thank you gift, and then if you meet with us or do this or that, you know, make it things that get what you need, but give them something valuable in return. Uh, Last one here. I have a I have a quick thought, and then I'll I'll hand it over. Thoughts on TikTok for recruitment? Uh, you know, it's the it's the shiny new object. Majority of students though are saying that yet if they use TikTok, they're not interested in it for college search. You know, I think you always have to differentiate. Just because someone is somewhere doesn't mean they want to use it for college search. For you know, do I want to be here and get served ads? The only place that most students say that they are looking for college content is Instagram. That's the only channel where more than half of students say that they are going for that. Next up is YouTube. So yes, TikTok is the latest shiny object in the way that Pinterest has been, that Snapchat has been, that you know all these things have been. Um, but you know, do you want to be that brand trying hard to be cool? You know, I think if you want to use it for recruitment, have student ambassadors wear your gear, 
you know, talk about things in their dorm, you know, have things that are going to organically get some engagement, but don't try and be, Hey, this is uh, our university being super cool with the latest dance trend that that doesn't feel authentic. Yeah. And this is where qualitative and quantitative data is super important, right? And additional data by places like, you know, my default, right, is Pew Research, for example, those of you I'm sure are familiar with them, and they do surveys on all kinds of different things. It's not only the questions that Will and I have talked about that we ask in surveys, which is like, which one of these platforms do you go and actually want to look for college content? And we'll hit on all of that. It's Instagram, not even close to the second one. But then it's understanding just from a usage standpoint, where do they actually just young people in the world spend most of their time? Well, Instagram and YouTube are also the top two places for usage in the entire world, right? TikTok is growing, no question, but it's still like third, fourth or fifth on you know the list, depending on what survey you read. But I will say that where I think TikTok could be helpful if you have bandwidth and if you have more resources and you're listening to this is it will be helpful with brand recognition, especially with people my daughter's age, for example, junior high students, people in eighth, ninth, 10th grade, right? Because if they're consuming your content just because it's fun and they could care less what the name of the school is, they just think that person's funny, stupid or whatever. Eventually, right, seeing your school's sweatshirt or seeing, right, all these students talking about 100% is probably going to influence them. And if you're doing social, right, what I always try to tell people, Content is not as hard as I think a lot of us make it out to be, meaning what do students want to see on any social platform? We talked about that earlier. Show me a day in the life. You can, I would argue, take the exact same content you post on Instagram and repurpose bits and pieces of it on TikTok. It would not be time that time consuming or that difficult, especially, right, if you're listening to this and have a full-time person who does social. So I don't think you need TikTok to Will's point. But again, if you have time and you have bandwidth, I 100% think there's value in it. I just think it's a little different value, more, again, for brand recognition than it is right now influencing current students to actually take action or do things. Yeah. Well, that is all of our our submitted questions here. Uh, Thanks for sticking around a little bit here, Jeremy. I appreciate the time. Uh, I mentioned it briefly. uh, Coming up on the 18th, we'll have another webinar talking about how to engage parents in the search. Uh, I thought that might come up. So just in case through that in, but yep. Uh, thank you again, Jeremy. Uh, really appreciate this. We'll be following up with the recording links and the, the podcast link and, uh, we'll get all that out tomorrow. Yeah. Please send Will and I questions. If you have more, we're happy to chop yeah. off air. All right. Have a great one, everyone. Take care, everybody.